All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Everybody and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me on this uh, lovely preseason primer episode, special episode of Shift F1, are uh, my two co-hosts, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. I can't believe it's already come around. It feels like, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the, the, the gap that we have every year gets shorter as they keep adding new circuits, but also Formula E just lubricates me into the new season of Formula One. And I love it. <laughs> Limbers you up. Yeah. Uh, and Rob Zachney, how are you, Rob? Excited about a new season of F1. Uh, but like Danny, I'm also like, didn't we just wrap up a season? Uh, they're really exploring <laughs> the outer boundaries of how much Formula One racing can you can you cram into a season. Uh, but thank God we're here for it. Yeah, uh, I can I can take a little more, I think. Uh, I'm very ready for the season to start. Uh, if you are just joining us, if you have never listened to this podcast before and or know absolutely zilch about Formula One, this is the place for you. Uh, this is how uh, I started. Um, I, I learned Formula One by doing this podcast. So that's kind of what we do here is uh, is talk about Formula One with... Um, uh, with newbies in mind, uh, uh, especially on this episode. So uh, we're going to go down this big old list that I have actually printed out <laughs> uh, of how Formula One works. And at the end of it, you should kind of know what uh, what to expect when you watch, when you turn on a race uh, and see all those speedy race cars going around in a circle. So this is a special episode. Usually what we do uh, before a race starts um, is a few days prior, our episode goes up, kind of priming you for what to expect for the race. Like, we'll talk about the track, uh, you know, what each team is doing, what to expect from them, news. Um, we take your emails, uh, talk about racing in other disciplines around the world. Um, sort of like a, it's like a, it's like a primer, I guess, for the upcoming race. But uh, this episode specifically will just be about um how the whole sport works uh for all you newbies out there but uh another thing is special about this episode uh and that is that we are launching a patreon campaign uh something we have never done in the history uh the five-year history of of shift f1 this podcast is uh ask for your money <laughs> so <laughs> that's Danny, what happens when you away. bring rob zachney onto a podcast i was breaking the door <laughs> I know. and i'm like fuck you pay me <laughs> yeah 
Rob, uh, Rob came on uh, to 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 help while I was uh, um, uh, birthing and raising my my daughter. Um, but uh, his his rates were so c- catastrophic uh, to <laughs> our bottom line speed. that we had to. Uh, well, I mean, he's worth it. Let's be honest. He is he is far more eloquent and uh, and uh, knowledgeable. And 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 his hair actually. I wish we did a video podcast because his beard is looking particularly well trimmed today. Um, <laughs> I'm very impressed by it. Um, but yeah, we are. We're we're, we're uh, when you said that we're, we're finally doing a Patreon myself and Drew do run Patreons and I know some people probably chip into that because they, they like this podcast but that, that never felt right especially once we brought uh, uh, Rob on and also because we've we've built this like community here um, on this podcast and I think the thing that really I don't know made this uh, you know struck me about this whole thing Drew is when we did the meetup in Austin yeah, and, and so many of the people who turned up had no idea about any of the work that we did in the past. And it just, it, it echoed this this thing that like, oh, we actually have this like really cool community here, which listens to this podcast, you know, uh, every season, who may or may not are on, be on Twitter, who may or may not want to email in into us. But we've never really created like a hub for those people to like center all of the work we do and, and do a bunch of extra, you know, cool stuff on the side um so we've decided to do a patreon we're, we're gonna do the podcast like anyway no matter how well it does or, or doesn't do um but the idea is basically just to create a hub for our community to sort of uh talk about the sport and interact with us um and then we're also going to do as an incentive for people to to sign up we're going to do uh do a bunch of exclusive um podcasts which will be on a special uh, rss feed if you sign up at our uh, our paddock pass it's five bucks a month um, uh, and we're also going to do a bunch of uh, i'm going to do a bunch of let's plays of classic f1 video games that people have been asking me to do for years and um, which will all just be for for patrons over there as a thank you for helping to support uh, the show because drew has been paying for all the, the various <laughs> <laughs> subscriptions and pieces of software we've used um even during the CBS days, I feel like we were we were chucking a bit into this. So um, uh, just something to to uh, to help us a little bit on that, but but also to just give us I don't know the freedom to really commit to this. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, Rob has a day job. The two of us run our own businesses, and a lot of the time it's difficult to do the amount of research we require for this podcast and the amount of time it takes for the three of us to go off and. And, and record one and watch the races and all that sort of stuff and obviously it's something we do for fun as well but um it's difficult i think when you're running your own business or you've got a day job to sort of you know add a, put adequate time to one side the appropriate level of time to one side and i always feel like shift f1 certainly from my perspective I've always got the sort of the dregs of my energy at the end of a long week so doing it this way allows us to really commit to it um in a way that uh, you all deserve. So that's that's kind of the idea behind it. It's patreon.com slash shift F1. It should be live uh, by the time this podcast is up. Yeah, and uh, nothing about the uh, what you've come to expect from the podcast will change. Like the the all those episodes will go up for free like they always have. But if you want to uh, give us a tip uh, on Patreon, then you will get uh, those bonus episodes that, uh, that Danny talked about. So we've already actually recorded a few of them. We've done some, uh, uh, like, I guess, rewatch podcasts of uh, racing documentaries. Um, we're planning on doing uh, primers for other racing series that we've done in the past, but a lot of them could use a little update. We've done one already, actually. Uh, one of the oh, that's true, as yeah. Well. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe actually maybe this is why it feels like F one never stopped because we kept recording podcasts the whole break. <laughs> that's yeah. Very we accurate. took a holiday break and then it was like, well, back to racing. <laughs> yeah, 
it's been great. Yeah, I feel like I've been watching F1 documentaries for the past like like two months. So yeah, that maybe that's why I'm so raring for a new uh, season. Yeah. Uh, so as we said, this episode is for uh, the F1 newbies, or you know, if you've watched F1 in the past and you just kind of want like a refresher. Um, but we'll be going over the uh, results from uh, the off-season testing and like diving deep into what's new rule-wise in 2019 in our following episode. So uh, you know, if if you're listening to this and saying like ah, I probably already know all this, uh, you could probably just uh, wait for that uh, next episode and uh, uh, skip this one. Although we will be talking about new drivers um, yes. in this episode uh, that were not there last year. So um, if again, if if you're a newbie, this is going to be a lot of information. I think my uh, recommendation to you would be don't even try to remember all of it. Um, just absorb what you can. And uh, and when you watch a race, you'll remember like, oh, that's that thing. Or that's that guy that they talked about. Uh, and you'll like, I think the commentators do a pretty good job, um, you know, assuming that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have new viewers too. And so you'll eventually pick things up. But this is like just to to kickstart you um, in, in your uh, in your knowledge. So, uh, I think maybe it'd be a good idea to start with how you watch a race, uh, in the U S at least, uh, the races will be shown on ESPN. Um, rumors are that they're going to be ad free again, like they were last year. Good. Uh, but that's a rumor. I don't know if that's for real, Come but if on, you want, polish. don't let me down. <laughs> <laughs> if you do want, uh, no, if there are commercials and you want zero commercials, you can sign up for F1 TV, which is F1's own uh, streaming service. And that is, they actually to reduce the rates. It's now 10 bucks a month or $80 a year hmm. uh, if you're in the US for the pro version, which allows you to watch live. Uh, or a much cheaper option is three bucks a month or $27 a year. Uh, and you get those races, I think two days after they air, uh, they show up for on demand. So uh, if you want to pay nothing though, F1's YouTube channel is also pretty good. They do uh, like five minute recaps of the races. You know, I, I don't, it's not a, a, a good substitute necessarily for watching the races, um, but uh, there's that if you want it. And a lot of cities have F1 meetups. So like people will go to a bar, uh, in the U.S., they typically are like five in the morning because that's when races are. <laughs> uh, but people will run out of bar and uh, and watch them there, so uh, you could do that. Um, you could also go to a race if you live in one of twenty one. Twenty one is it twenty one this year? I think yes, yeah. twenty one cities. Yeah, Pro- yeah. The chances of it being in your hometown is much higher if you live in Europe. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So who wants to? answer the question what is formula one (laughs) well that's a big question it is a huge question the place to start is it is the pinnacle of open wheel racing uh worldwide what do we mean by open world well uh open wheel uh well the cars you and i probably drive have closed wheels right the entire car body wraps up goes goes over the wheels uh to to the front and rear fenders um and so you don't really like have much chassis or or frame exposed on on a passenger car and that's kind of the model that nascar uh tends to tends to operate as well an open wheel racer uh extracts a great deal more performance and cuts a great deal of weight and can be much more aerodynamically sophisticated uh, by getting rid of all that body work and adopting a very uh, sleek, uh, aerodynamically efficient shape 
with the wheels pretty much exposed on the edges of the car connected uh, by uh, pull rods at this point. And there's a few interesting things about that. Uh, One is that these cars cannot really smash and bash. So if you're used to racing games where you can sort of give people a little bit a little bit of a nudge, uh, if you're used to NASCAR where people can uh you know do the do the rubbing is racing thing, if if that mm-hmm. if that's sort of the racing you're used to, that's not going to fly here. These things are basically like almost origami cars. And that's further sort of exacerbated by the fact that they use really advanced materials like carbon steel. Uh, they're not known for being resilient to things like a giant wheel rolling over them. And so these cars, when they tend to have uh, even light impacts, large pieces can just fly off. And yet, that doesn't stop these guys from racing within millimeters of their fellow drivers. Uh, and that's one of the things that really makes F1 driving dramatic Uh, high skill and incredibly fascinating to watch to sort of pilot these flying machines on the ground you need people who can drive with that level of precision and who will still have like the guts and skill to drive that closely and execute moves without wrecking these incredibly expensive delicate cars yeah uh and this this has been going on since i think 1950 in its current incarnation and the word formula uh, actually refers to the set of rules saying this is how your car can be constructed. So every team, and there are teams, there's 10 of them, uh, with two cars each, uh, have to build their cars to those specifications. Um, and so cars from the outside may look pretty similar, but the teams are actually uh, a lot of the time accomplishing uh, the same thing in a lot of different ways. So the the And this is the cool thing about learning more about formula one is that the more you learn the more things you notice and the the more i think closer to the sport you feel and the more the more cool stories that you can pick out uh in any given race so um it like you said rob it is the pinnacle of racing so with that comes a lot of money and spectacle so this is like you know uh this traveling troop of superstars uh going around the world i I don't think we really have a sense in the u.s of how big this thing is um you know uh elsewhere in the world like in uh, europe or uh, even brazil and i think the the only way that i have been able to uh like touch that uh aside from going to races is to see it to see the spectacle on TV. And that mm. personally gives me a lot of thrill seeing, you know, a hundred thousand people coming to a race or something. So, um, that's, yeah, that's th- that. And, um, you know, watching the, the story of the season develop in pieces over each race and then watching the story develop over a race distance, uh, is, uh, the most rewarding part uh, for a Formula One for for me. So um, we're going to get into specific teams and drivers and stuff, but uh, suffice to, it suffices to say that there are uh, 20 drivers total um, on uh, 10 different teams. All those, like the cars, <laughs> you might have to look at, uh, Reddit does a really good um, spotter's guide every year for what the cars look like on track 
I guess when we go down the teams, we'll kind of say what they look like, but every team has two cars and they look the same. Uh, it's really hard to tell which driver is who. Um, Nobody uh, can do when it. You're, yeah, what, <laughs> right. what, when you're at the circuit, when you're watching on television, it's it's always usually highlighted pretty well, I feel. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the second driver, I never liked the second driver, I think, has the yellow bar on the, on the yes. top of the car. Uh, so the, this is sort of the primary driver uh, who's usually the better driver for the team. That's the person that, like, the entire race strategy is going to be about making sure that that driver is set up to succeed. Uh, they're driving sort of the plane livery, and then the secondary driver has this little yellow bar uh, on this cross piece <laughs> that sort of sits atop the shark fin assembly uh, on the car. That's supposed to be your tell for identifying who is who. I love that, like, even commentators have been doing this for 20 years. Like, yeah. when, when they see a car, like, pulled off on the side of the road after an accident, they have no idea who they're looking at like these are people whose job it is they've been doing it for for ages and they're like is that the one guy or the other they never know until until like the uh tv producers finally bring up the graphic yeah typically the graphics have been pretty good recently so um yeah be on be on the lookout for that uh i think that one of the things that was difficult for me to grasp at first was the fact uh that the team's some of them are like names you'll recognize like mercedes and ferrari uh and and maybe renault um, some of those teams not only make their own car, but they also make their own engine and in addition, sell their engine to other teams. So um, there are, let's see, uh, Mercedes has a team and an engine. Renault has a team and an engine. Ferrari has a team and an engine. Uh, and then there's Honda, which doesn't have a team, but does make an engine and sell it to uh, teams. So... Mm. The way that that works is because, you know, Mercedes makes their own car and their engine, um, another team can buy it and not have to spend all of that money on R&D because one of the the big themes that you'll see uh, in Formula One is cost uh, and making the playing field level for the teams that don't have the deep pockets of a Mercedes or a a Ferrari. yeah, and you need deep pockets to, to, you know, exist in this sport. And what you'll find is that some of the, you know, there's pretty much a good 50-50 split of teams that have been around for, you know, 20 years plus and then other teams that have been around for, you know, far less than that. And there's kind of like a bit of a lemon dance of uh, teams that kind of are disappearing and get renamed or, or fall out of favor or old teams that sort of get a bit more money put into them uh, and kind of reappear um so there's a couple of you know elder statesmen as it were of the of the of the the paddock and then there's a couple of other ones which you know are named after energy drink well actually there's two that are energy drinks and one's a i think a kenyan sports betting website so <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later i guess yeah uh for the gearheads of you out there these cars are turbocharged 1.6 liter v6 hybrids uh and they are hybrids that's another thing i think that is not apparent uh is that these things have batteries in them uh that contribute to uh the overall horsepower of of the car and they actually have a an energy recovery system that takes energy from the heat of the engine and the kinetic energy from uh, when the car breaks to recharge that battery uh, and then add horsepower back into the whole power unit. When they talk about, you'll hear 
people say uh, power unit instead of engine. It's, it's to differentiate between the internal combustion engine, which is just one part of the power unit because the electrical, uh, electrical part uh, combines with the internal combustion engine to create uh, about 1,000 horsepower. Uh, and these things will get up to around 220 miles an hour or 355 kilometers per hour if you let them. Oof. There aren't a lot of places uh, that they have enough room to get up to that speed. Thanks, uh, but, China. Yeah, but the, they, they push 200 regularly. Uh, another weird, I guess, feature of these cars is uh, you'll hear a lot. Um, the commentators talk about DRS, which stands for uh, Drag Reduction System. So if, if you've ever seen a, a, an open-wheel race car, you or really any high-performance car, you know the rear spoiler is a, uh, a common sight. And what that is trying to do is perform like an airplane wing in reverse to push the back of the car down. Uh, because the stickier your car, or the more your car sticks to the track, um, the more easy of a time it'll have going around corners. But the other thing that does is produce drag and makes your car slower because it's pushing the air down instead of just letting it pass so what drs does the driver has the ability on certain zones of the track to open that rear wing and make it parallel to the ground so that it is not uh blocking any air and that is effectively a speed boost there's some rules surrounding it so like you can only use it again on certain areas of the track and only if you are uh within a second of the car in front because basically what this is doing is trying to promote passing, which is the most exciting part of any race. Yeah, and this is one of this is the one that stuck. They've tried a bunch of different versions of this, and they had uh, Curs was the, the the speed boost, which has kind of just been implemented generally into how the cars operate now. Um, uh, but uh, you know, they, they've forever been trying to figure out this whole element of you know trying to allow these cars, which due to the way that they're sort of built, create these awful you know, washes of dirty air behind them that make it very difficult for people to get up close and then pass them. Um, but uh, DRS is the one that's stuck. It feels like it's been around forever now. Yeah, I mean, the, the weird thing that I think um, is not always apparent when you're watching is that because these cars are such a weird shape and because they have so much aerodynamic stuff going on, they create a lot of turbulence. And turbulence is not good for uh, the car behind you because if... Uh, you know, all these aerodynamic elements are are designed with the expectation that they will be flowing in clean air. So when you dirty that air up, the car behind uh, can't stick to the track as well and thus can't follow the other car as closely. Um, that's another kind of uh, uh, thing that Formula One is trying to fix. But DRS is meant to kind of uh, get around that by allowing the car in the in the rear to pass. It's like the difference I always think is between if you have a jet ski and you're driving it, it creates kind of a, a, a good wash behind that another jet ski can go behind. That's kind of what NASCAR is. But if you're if you're in a big boat, if you're in a big like you know boat that creates a lot of like spill behind it, and then you have another boat that's going right behind it there, you get, you're stuck in that choppy choppy water. That's kind of like what F1 is. Yeah. A thing worth noting here as well is that there are some technologies that F1 cars don't have that you might expect a hyper-sophisticated driving machine would have, right? Like, uh, just about any car you buy today probably has something like 
anti-lock brakes or traction control. Uh, <laughs> right. Formula One was sort of on the cutting edge of a lot of these innovations. These things used to be in F1. There was a time where F1 was sort of on the cutting edge of all automotive technology, and you would see things developed for Formula One racing that would eventually sort of make their way out into the wider auto industry. F1, because it's also a sport, hit a point where there was a feeling that the new technologies were de-emphasizing driver skill, right? If a computer is better at managing traction in a car than a human driver is, but traction management is like integral to the skill of racing, is it as good if we have traction control? And the consensus reached over a period of years was not really. And so F1 cars in some ways have really advanced uh, systems like the kinetic energy recovery system, like the, like the hybrid engine, but they do lack some surprising features like anti-lock brakes. They don't have them. Uh, F1 drivers have to basically have a good enough feel for their brakes and how, and, and how their wheels are locking under braking to know when they're at the limit and when they have to sort of release the brakes a little bit. Uh, they also just have to have a really good feel, feel for how much grip they have at any given moment because there is no system that's going to kick in and redistribute power to save them from a spin. Uh, and so F1 drivers drive cars that have been technologically hobbled in some ways to allow enough space for drivers to make human error. Yeah, and I think that that kind of contributes to what I we were saying about the spectacle, right? It's like not only are these the cars at the 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 you know tip of the technological spear, but also the drivers that are um, you know the best in the world. I mean, this is like we said, this is where the money is. So every driver wants to be uh, in in Formula One, and I mean, there's just the so much prestige, well. yeah, yeah, and history. Because it's been around, like you said, like it's been around since the early, you know, twentieth century, and um, but like some of the courses, some of the circuits that they drive on, and some of the drivers themselves are, you know, part of a lineage. Like the the circuits have been around sure. forever, and some of the drivers have been, you know, part of teams or, or the the children of, of former drivers and whatnot. So there's a real, you know, when it comes to world racing, F1 is the the you know sort of global racing sport and has been for you know best part of a century. Yeah, I think people will have heard of the Monaco Grand Prix, not even knowing that it's mm. Formula One that, that <laughs> races there, and that's why it's famous. Uh, one other interesting, um, I think, and fairly new development to these cars is uh, what we call the Halo. So mm. this will be new to someone who maybe has, is coming from IndyCar. Uh, IndyCar doesn't have these. They have um, uh, uh, more like windscreens, but... F1 has these things. They're, the cars are open cockpit, but there's like this cage around the driver's head almost. It's, I mean, it's it's like a halo. It's uh, like a wishbone kind of. Yeah, uh, around the driver's head and then has like a, a post uh, leading from it into like the front of the car. Uh, everyone thought this was going to ruin the sport, of course, as all changes are <laughs> mm. uh, thought to do. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think... Um, I we, barely notice it anymore. I don't notice it at all. And yeah. it, it contributed last year, uh, at least, to, I think, protecting a, a couple mm. of drivers in, in certain crashes. And that's a Formula E now and everything. So I see it all the time. And it, I, yeah. I, I, I completely forget it's there most of the time. Yeah. Uh, another, I think, 
really big component of uh, understanding a race is understanding tires. Oh, uh, God. I knew this was coming. It's actually simpler <laughs> this year than last year. Yeah. So when you're, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're saying it's simpler, which makes it simpler. Sure. I think that's, that's the logic behind it, I think. <laughs> when you watch a race, uh, you are going to see three different colors of tires. White, yellow, and red. Well, the tires themselves will all be black. Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) There are stripes. There are colored stripes on the tires. Uh, Those indicate, respectively, hard, medium, and soft. So you are obligated under the rules as a driver to use one of the uh, two of those compounds during the race. You can't just put on one set of tires uh, and go to the end. Not only will will your tires not last that long, but because... Uh, of the rules, you have to change from one compound, as they're called, to another. So this introduces a certain element of strategy, or <laughs> a really a big element of strategy, because the hardness of the tire basically means how grippy it is. A harder tire, a harder tire will have less grip because it's not as pliable, but it will also last longer. So the teams have to decide: Do we want? to put the soft tire on first to get a jump on everybody because it's a faster tire? Uh, Or do we want to put the hard one on first and then last a whole bunch longer uh, after everyone has made their pit stops before we do ours? Uh, It it took me a while, I think, to really understand the subtleties of the strategies there. Um, But when you see people pitting, uh, it's most likely to change tires. We don't do refueling in Formula One. and pit stops are also where uh, a lot of things can go wrong. A lot of a lot of drama happens in the pits. I, I think the tire stuff to me is very much like a don't worry about it too much at the moment. Once you're kind of more familiar with racing, like it's kind of the the second or third layer of strategy that you kind of then come to appreciate. Um, but it is important to have a you know a, a general sort of knowledge about what's going on with the tires, um, especially because some races are are really defined by the tire strategy. Yeah, and you know it it, it means that <laughs> I think uh, um, someone might expect to come to a race like this and just say, well, why don't they just race as hard as they can all the time? Just go uh, all out constantly. And you can't really do that because you have to conserve your tires. Uh, to Because if you burn up your tires and have to make two pit stops, each pit stop effectively adds like 25 seconds to your time. So that's you're losing a ton of positions by having to do that. But sometimes it's more advantageous. Like if you put soft, soft, medium, you know, you're, you're going fast, fast, medium, fast. Uh, yeah, it's like stuff, F, so that F1's might actually a, work. Everyone's a marathon, not a sprint. It's kind of like, you, you know, it's not it's not about 100 meters dash. It's about, you know, these cars by the end have like done hundreds of miles an hour. So or hundreds of miles. Um, and so it's uh yeah, that, that's kind of how I like to think about it is you got to, you know, you got to don't wanna wear out your shoes too, too quickly. Right. Uh, some things you'll see. Uh, watching on screen, you will see various flags. I mean, if you're if you've watched uh, other racing disciplines, you'll recognize these. A yellow flag means that there's uh, there's a, a problem around here, like someone maybe has gone off track or kicked some gravel up onto the track, debris, something like that. And yellow just means slow down. Um, a red flag comes out if the race needs to be stopped. Uh, a blue flag is what happens when the 
the guys at the front of the field, and they are all guys. Uh, we currently don't have any female racers uh, on the field. Although there is a uh, um, a backup driver uh, on one of the teams who is a female. So if something happens to one of those drivers, she might have to step in. So that'd be cool. Yeah, we've had a couple of women, um, uh, yeah, test drivers and backup drivers over the years. Um, we might. Is the W Series kicking off this year? It is, yes. Okay, so that's a that's a conversation for another podcast, though. Yeah, um, but yeah, blue is if the if the leader has gone so fast that he has come back around to what we call a back marker, like the person in the back of the field, the back marker will be given a blue flag to allow the uh, the guy who is technically in first to pass him, and that's something that I originally thought was like kind of lame, like why. Why would you do that? He should be able to defend. But, like, they're really not racing the same race. The guy in front is going... He's so far ahead uh, that uh, that they're kind of racing different races. And, again, like, it's, you know, if it's races over the course of, you know, a hundred and something miles and the, the circuit itself is only, like, two or three miles long, then that's, you know, it's not as ridiculous. Just think about, like, wacky races or something, you know, the way they catch up with each other all the time. Sure, or Mario Kart. Right. Um... You may also see a virtual safety car. <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's only when like we talk about these things after having a break that I realize how ridiculous so much of this. Yeah. Is. Well, I, all right. So a safety car might come out, and that is a uh, it's like a pace car um, that everyone stacks up behind, and generally they'll send out a safety car if uh, you know a, a, a car goes off track and is in a dangerous position. Um, or maybe is still on the track, but you know, stricken somehow, and they don't want these super fast cars racing by it because uh, that's dangerous. So they send out the safety car. Everybody stacks up behind it, and the safety car goes much slower around the track. Yeah, it's and basically then, a way of them like not having a red flag, so they can clean yeah. up the problem. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, and then eventually the safety car will go back into the pits, and we will resume racing. A virtual safety car basically slows everybody down no matter where they are on the track immediately so this is a way of uh maybe we don't necessarily know what has happened but we need to slow everybody down for a safety reason so you'll see vsc come on or virtual safety car that's what that is it's kind of equivalent to a full course yellow in indycar Mm -hmm. or uh i think does nascar have those uh maybe um I think it also bears mentioning that like how how this is all scored or what is this is all working toward. We, we're doing 21 races over the course of the year from uh, middle of March to actually into December this year. Oh, really? The huh. last race what? is on December 1st. Yes. Wow. Uh, so big, long season. And at the end of each race, depending on your finishing uh, position, you get points associated with that. The, the person who finishes in first gets 25 points and then it kind of steps down to 10th place uh, where you get one point and everybody else behind 10th place you get zero points so you're really really trying to get into that top 10 and then uh, you add up all everybody's points from each race at the end of the year and that is your driver's champion uh, the teams also are racing for uh, their own championship so like if uh you know the two mercedes drivers both score points uh for that race the drivers will get their individual points but mercedes as the team will get uh a cut uh, the those two points added together and this is this is where 
the one of the real pleasures of F1 begins to come into play, the politics of F1, mm, uh, yes. which is that with all this money going around, uh, normal everyday people do not run F1 teams. Normal everyday people are not <laughs> F1 drivers. You have a confluence of massive amounts of money, massive egos, and massive stakes <clears throat> because a lot of these teams depend for a great deal on where they placed in the drivers in the constructors championship to determine what share of prize money they get at the end of an F1 season, which is going to contribute significantly to next year's operating budget. These teams need this need these uh, constructors points, maybe not necessarily to eat, but to build a good car, to to hire yeah. more mechanics and engineers. Um and so the drivers are racing for their own championship, but there are two drivers to a team, and the team wants to make sure that their two drivers both, together, achieve the most advantageous finish possible for both of them to maximize the team's points. So there are moments where the interests of the individual driver begin to run at cross-purposes with perhaps what the team would ideally like to do with their two drivers that they have. Uh, and that's where you begin getting running into interesting things like team orders, uh, for instance, which is that occasionally a team will basically straight up tell a driver, you need to move over and let your teammate through because they are on a different strategy. They are simply running faster than you. Uh, and it's better for the team to let that person through. And that is perfectly legal these days. Um, F1 has gone back and forth on this. Um, you know, there, there was an era where they had sort of a fig leaf about, oh, we, we <laughs> let drivers race. Uh, pay no attention to the fact that this one slowed suspiciously down uh, the straightaway like they were on, like, a lower AI setting uh, for a lap, <laughs> allowing the, uh, the teammate to overtake. Now they allow teams to dictate orders like that to, uh, to their drivers. That does not necessarily mean those orders will always be followed. And yeah. one of the things that we enjoy doing on this show is reading the tea leaves, uh, noting the inflection <laughs> of drivers and engineers as these orders are given, uh, as people are interviewed after the race about how they feel their team treated them as opposed to their teammate. Uh, so at the start of the season, everyone is on best terms, like the first day of school. We're all friends. <laughs> we're, we're all here for the same purposes. Um, Probably a half dozen races into the season, you will start seeing the ten the temperature change a little bit, and that happens like clockwork every year as people realize I have a shot at winning this entire thing and turn into monsters and that's the other reason that that we're all here yeah uh and, and I think that it also contributes um to multiple different races happening on the same track you know like will or, or or a lot of different stories happening Be because of the magnitude of the monetary payout like if if you're you know the difference between like fourth place and fifth place in the championship at the end of the year is millions of dollars hmm. so uh there may be teams that you know don't have a shot of winning the constructors championship but you're still kind of watching to see how they do in relation to other teams. So uh, it, it like, again, knowing those kinds of things are going on contributes to 
like the depth of uh, what you're looking at. Like you can, it's not like all, all we're watching is to see who comes in first. You're also seeing how does everybody else do in the middle of the field too. Uh, let's get into what an actual race weekend is. So the race is simply the culmination of uh, of three days in each city um, that the, the teams uh, partake in. So Friday is typically practice where you just go around the track. You're not trying to set any lap times or anything. Um, you're just kind of breaking your car in. And then on Saturday is when qualifying happens. Qualifying is a bit of a misnomer. Like you don't... <laughs> Uh, I don't remember a time where a car has like failed to qualify and cannot start the race. Mm. Uh, really, this just means this is what our car order will be when the race starts. So everyone goes out on track, tries to, it's like a time trial. Basically they try to set the fastest possible lap and then whoever's the fastest starts from pole position, starts from first place. And then it just, everybody stacks up uh, uh, from there by, by race time. Uh, and then on Sunday is the actual race. Uh, qualifying is, it sounds, it, it sounds boring on the surface. Like I just watching everyone try to set the fastest lap, like not even racing against other people. It's just them kind of out on the track by themselves a lot of the time. Uh, sometimes for race nerds like us, qualifying can even be more exciting than uh, the race that happens the following day. So uh, I, I watch qualifying every single time. Yeah, that's another one that the more you watch the sort of the the more you'll enjoy, you know, the more you know the characters and the and the 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 teams and you know the the times when things happen that are like a shock, especially in the way in which the format works where you know the last lap of qualifying is always just an absolute, you know, you can hear it in the commentator's voice, the high pitch they get to. It's yes. always uh incredibly exciting. Yeah. Uh and one last thing here that you might see is uh penalties can be served uh i think the most obvious one is if one car crashes into the other the stewards the people who are uh watching out for the rules uh up in the <laughs> up in the sky boxes will hand down penalties to whoever they think uh, is at fault um other things you can't do you can't move twice to defend like you can't look in your mirrors and just wiggle back and forth so the guy can't get around you um you can't cut corners um I don't know. There's a, there's a handful of other things, but when it can't when throw a, shells, you can't. can't yes, can't. Yeah, can't <laughs> banana put bananas peels. behind you. <laughs> uh, but uh, penalties uh, come in the form of time. So either the time will be appended to your final race time, which may knock you down certain spots in the order, uh, or you'll have to, you know, spend a certain amount of time in the pits, uh, things like that. Okay, Danny, All take right. us through. These crazy men and their driving machines. All right, here we go. This is this is the part actually that if you were watching F one in previous seasons, you would also enjoy because we had a real <laughs> swap around <laughs> this year. I mean, some people are completely untouched, um, but but most teams have if you know if not a uh, an elder statesman coming back, then a young buck who's won some other racing series and is here to prove a point uh, we also have a couple of uh, returning heroes and villains as well so um i'm gonna go through all the teams there's 20 drivers i i didn't want to get too detailed on any one of them because there are 20 of them and this is our pre-season podcast so i'm going to try and give you an idea as to the, the people 
who they are and and the ones who you need who are who are good and the ones who are bad you'll be able to tell almost right away. And Rob, maybe you can help me with a bit of color on the teams when I'm done with a Oh, with absolutely. We starting at the bottom or the top? Oh, we're starting at the top, but it gets a little bit mixy in the middle, let's say. <laughs> but we'll start with the most obvious one, which is uh, Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes AMG Petronas Motorsports, the name of the team, but we just call them Mercedes. Uh, two drivers for them. Uh, the number one driver is Lewis Hamilton. He is the current champion. He has won five championships. He's won four of the past five years. Um, he's an English guy. He is the only, I think he is the only black racer he's only black champion i know but is he one of the only i'm trying to think there might have been a brazilian driver who's a person of color but i think he might be the only black driver in the history of the sport rob uh i believe i yeah i believe he was certainly the the first um not forget is, is oh, lando norris sorry uh, lando norris of Ch- yes yeah just so reminded like, me right so like things things are changing uh but yes lewis was sort of the um like first through the wall yeah, exactly. He he was sort of the uh, he he was he was sort of the trailblazer uh, for 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 this, uh, which has also meant that he has carried a great deal of expectations on his shoulder and has yes. perhaps a history of receiving slightly different media coverage than other people of his uh, performance and abilities uh, to have yes. historically received in F one. Absolutely, and over the years, he's certainly you know sort of. Had a bit of battles with with temperament um, in relation to that, and also uh, just other drivers on the track. But uh, he's a, he's a successful, calm guy these days, um, and definitely the the favor going into the next season. His teammate Valtteri Bottas uh, has had a sort of an interesting couple of years. He's Finnish. Um, he lives in Monaco uh, with his wife, who's a professional swimmer, actually, and also looks identical to him. You know when people get married and they just look <laughs> like they look like their partners. Yep. Um, he came fifth last season, but didn't actually score a win. Um, he came third in 2017 with three wins so uh he's kind of doing the opposite trajectory he'd probably want to so um yeah he'll he'll want to be doing better this year they kind of epitomize the the weirdness that can go on between uh teammates in that like (laughs) there was a time when valtteri last year was going to win a race but Hmm. because uh the team wanted lewis to win the driver's championship they asked valtteri to move aside and just let lewis win yeah. Uh, so he did not like that. Uh, does not like being treated like uh, you know um, the wingman. Um, so I, I I think he is hungry for for something this year. Uh, but will he get it? That'll be the question. Yeah. What do you think of their prospects this year, Rob? Um, tough to say. So interestingly enough, Mercedes. The smart money is always on Mercedes. At this mm-hmm. point, they have they change the rules about how you can construct your car a little bit every year. Some significant changes have come through this year. A lot of teams have tended to adopt a series of conventions. Like a lot of teams' cars roughly resemble one another uh, because they're all kind of reaching the same conclusions. There's a lot of bright engineers working these problems. They're all sort of reaching an idea of, here. here's what an optimal car design roughly looks like under these rules. Mercedes don't really follow those rules. Mercedes designs are a little bit um, iconoclastic with the presiding trend in F1 car design. And so every year, there's kind of this suspicion that, no, Mercedes are behind the curve here. Mercedes can't do this again. They're, they're, they're just not on the leading edge anymore. Um, 
And then they pull it out. That's also partly due to Mercedes cars tend to be pretty damn reliable. Uh, Their drivers, uh, particularly Lewis Hamilton, also tend to be pretty reliable. The driver is the most important component on the car. Uh, So Mercedes, are their cars always the best? I don't know. Do their cars tend to perform the most reliably at the highest quality across the season? Absolutely. Uh, And so... I think, once again, uh, Mercedes appear to have gone a slightly different route with car design. At the same time, they've won so many championships. Their lead driver has won so many championships. You know, if other teams have to be perfect to beat Mercedes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The other team that's trying to, you know, nipping at their heels and trying to get past them uh, is Ferrari, uh, who's two drivers. Uh, This year, Sebastian Vettel is the bona fide number one driver. Um, He is a, uh, I guess, four-time winner. He won 2010, 2011, 2010, and 2013. I think he won four times in a row. Uh, That was with Red Bull, though. Um, He came second last year and the year prior. So he has been outperforming the second seat at Mercedes. Um, But uh, again, he's the type of driver that once, you know, Ferrari have have a car that's that's on par or close to it uh, to Mercedes. Um, he's definitely going to be challenging for the for the title. He hasn't really challenged for the title either of those years. He came second. Um, it was pretty much done and dusted with a couple of races to go. Uh, he is joined this year by a, uh, a young gun, a 21 year old Charles Leclerc, uh, a Monegasque as, they, as they're known, a child born in Monaco, which is, you know, the equi- uh, European equivalent of being born you know in indianapolis i guess on the, on the motor speedway <laughs> yeah. um he came 13th last year with sauber which was which was pretty good um he uh he was the same age as vettel i guess when he entered the sport as well uh, at 21 so he's he's another one of these kids who we're thinking might be a, a prodigy we've been stung in the past but uh um uh you know i i think there's a lot of eyes on him so it'll be very interesting to see how sebastian vettel who's kind of now a bit of an elder statesman when it comes to the sport um, who's kind of been you know held to second for a long time it'll be interesting to see how uh, leclerc does up against him uh Charles leclerc ended last season really well he he placed seventh in the final three races so uh he's uh he's definitely you know he's a number two driver but we'll have to see right yeah, he's he's really exciting. He before Formula One last year was his rookie season in Formula One. The year before that, he won the Formula Two championship in his rookie year. The year before that, he <laughs> won the GP three championship in his rookie year. Uh, so this kid's good, and they should have a good car. Now their team has had some major changes in the off season. Uh, Basically, Ferrari has had some massive turnover in the way it's way it's managed. Uh, partly that's due to the head of the company passing away uh, last year, who was going to a be Ferrari the, proper. Yeah, um, it was going to, who was going to be playing a leading role on the race team this year. That was that was the grand design. Uh, sadly, he passed away. Um, complications for a from a surgery relating to cancer, mm-hmm. and so the team. Uh, was sort of left with its transitional head, uh, Mauricio Rivabene, who was kind of deposed. Uh, <laughs> there was sort of a, a you know, he was, he was sort of brutally cut off uh, during the offseason not that long ago. We did a special show on it, uh, you know, a month or two ago. And a new head of the team was brought in. And so there's a lot of uncertainty around what are the dynamics at Ferrari of all the teams that have a reputation for being the most political? Uh, the court drama in Ferrari often has a noticeable impact 
on their fortunes uh, on the track. That being said, Ferrari has tended to be, a little, of late, appears to be figuring out car construction uh, in this era. Their designs tend to be the ones that are being copied right now. They look like they might have the cutting edge uh, car design for this season. Um, so we that's the that's the other thing to watch out for. This is this is a team with a glorious history. There's some messy politics, but they might be ideally positioned to kick ass. Uh, should we get on to the next team? Yeah. Okay, uh, let's uh, go to Red Bull, let's say. Uh, so, their number one driver this year, Max Verstappen. Um, he's lost his teammate, Danny Ricciardo, who we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, Dutch, a bit of a phenom, 21 years old. Uh, 81 starts already to his name. 22 podiums and 8 wins. He got two of them last year. Uh, one at Spa, one at Mexico. Uh, I think he was on the podium for the final six races. Definitely final four races, of, or five races of last season. Um, he placed fourth last year as well, uh, which is impressive. Uh, but uh, he'll he'll want to be doing um, you know quite well this year, especially now that he he sort of he should have a bit more uh, leeway as number one driver. Um, his teammate Pierre Gasly uh, is uh, uh, it's so strange to think that he's actually two years older than Max Verstappen because he's quite young to the sport as well. It's only his second full season. Um, he came fifteenth last year with Toro Rosso. He's been promoted to their. Red Bull is their sort of the primary team. Toro Rosso is like their second team. Um, so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he does it in a, in a better car. Uh, the other thing to note is that the Red Bull team now is running Honda engines. Hmm. And this is a very dramatic change, both for Honda and for Red Bull. Red Bull were dominant a few years ago. They racked up a lot of championships. Then the engine game kind of got away from them. And they started having beautifully designed cars with bad engines. You need both. Uh, And they stopped having success. And they had a very ugly relationship with their engine supplier, Renault. And now they have transitioned to Honda engines. Honda's track record in F1 to date has been abysmal. Uh, Everyone's still waiting for the Honda thing to turn into a success. This year, maybe they've cracked the code. Either way, Red Bull have bet their team on the fact that Honda can do just that and that they will have a better relationship with Red Bull than Honda had with their previous partner, uh, McLaren, who we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, um, I'm not going to get to McLaren next, although I will say it's kind of hard to choose it in terms of quality from here on out because we've got so much changing uh, going on um, but uh, since we la- we sort of I mentioned Ricardo, I'll jump over to Red uh, Renault which is his new team uh, Dan Ricardo, the smiliest man in the paddock he's Australian everyone loves him he's almost 30 years old he's had 150 starts 29 podiums uh, 7 wins last year he came 6th um, he was 5th the year before that and he was 3rd the year before that um, so this probably says more about maybe Red Bull's dominance in the sport than it does or their sort of slouchiness in the sport over the past couple of years and Ferrari's resurgence um, that he's he's had a hard, hard time of it but crucially last year Daniel Ricciardo's Red Bull just would not finish races he had eight retirements um, last year which completely killed his chances of accruing any sort of consistent point tally um, perhaps that contributed to him leaving to go to, to Renault I imagine it did um, there'll be a lot of eyes on him because he is definitely number one driver his teammate Nico Hulkenberg has been in the sport for a long long time he's got uh, more starts than Daniel with zero podiums um, he came seventh last year though uh, uh, but he was la- he was very consistent there were only uh, I think three races that he finished the race in that he did not score points 
Um, he had seven retirements, so quite a lot. Um, <laughs> so hopefully both of them will be hoping to have a car that is able to finish races this year. Um, and I think both of them have got, you know, the sort of consistency that will allow Renault to, to, you know, maybe jump a, a spot or two in the constructors this year. I mean, that's the gloss on Renault, right? It all comes down to consistency. All those retirements that, uh, that Ricardo had last year, he was driving a Red Bull. It was powered by Renault. It was the engine that kept failing. Uh, the Renault has a slightly better reputation for their engines performing in their own car, but they've still had reliability issues. So once again, uh, Renault is a team that I think we've all been kind of waiting to see them make that jump into the elite tier, the way that you expect a constructor, uh, a, a manufacturer car to, to, to make that jump. They haven't gotten there yet, uh, but this year they've invested in the driving talent. Maybe, maybe they've gotten there with the engineering side. Uh, let's go to one of our newer names, I guess, uh, although it's an old name as well, Alfa Romeo Racing. Um, they have uh, an, an elder statesman and a young buck uh, on, on their docket. Kimi Raikkonen, who I think a lot of people were sort of expecting him to retire last year, so it feels like a bonus uh, that, that he's around again. Um, he came third last year. Uh, a large part of that was winning in America that gave him a, a bunch of points. Um, uh, he has one championship, but that's all the way back in 2007. Uh, Kimi's a, a, a you know a, a F1 racers uh, F1 fan favorite because of his sort of uh, I don't know what you call it he's just Finnish I guess he's similar to Valtteri Bottas but he seems to be a bit more uh, self-aware maybe about how sort of peculiar he acts uh, during interviews and the fact that he sort of uh, I don't know he's there to get the job done and doesn't really um, he's like the Marshawn Lynch of, yeah, of sure. F1 in some ways <laughs> like he takes part in everything he has to take part in he makes it very clear He's just here to play the game, and he doesn't care about anything else. But at right. this point, I think it's becoming an act. Like at this point, I think he kind of right. knows the personality he cuts and plays into that. Uh, that's beast mode, Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, his teammate is Antonio Giovinazzi, or as Drew likes to call him, Antonio Giovinazzi. Thank you. Uh, 2016 GP2 and 2015 uh, FIA Formula 3 European Championship runner-up. Uh, he is 25 years old. Um, he made his competitive debut for Sauber in 2017. You may remember that he filled in for Pascal Verlein, who uh, injured himself. He came 12th in that race, which was pretty good. Um, and he did also uh, sit in the seat during the Chinese Grand Prix the next race when Verlein was like um, sort of tending to his back. Um, didn't finish that race. He had a retirement. Um, but uh, yeah, he's another one of these racers who's done pretty good in i mean very good in 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 other uh sort of disciplines of, of open wheel racing and his sort of uh, here to prove himself now as number two driver for alfa romeo worth noting about uh, alfa romeo they're the first team we've gotten to that sort of fits this model uh they are a customer team they are buying all their components from somebody else but they're also basically the like lower tier team of the Ferrari team. Uh, they used to be the Sauber team. They're the Alfa Romeo team now. But basically, in all the important particulars, they are like off-label Ferrari uh, as an F1 team. And the car design, uh, you know, implies that as well. But it's this is one of the things about F1. There are questions, there are concerns being raised uh, by fans of the sport, by people in the sport. How seriously would an Alfa Romeo? ever race against a Ferrari. Even setting aside the uh, different quality components on the two cars, if they ever did find themselves in a shootout, like they could both go for the win, 
would Alfa Romeo, with its basically like client relationship to Ferrari, ever really allow that to turn into? Would they ever be allowed to like actually race Ferrari? It's never come up because the difference in the team qualities are, are wide enough that uh, you, you don't have to worry about that happening too much. Uh, but nevertheless, there's a lot of teams now that sort of fit that second-tier team model. Uh, they're dependent on sort of the senior team. Uh, and Alfa Romeo is an interesting case because their cars have punched way above their weight. They tend to have some good drivers, uh, so we're kind of waiting for that for that that awkward moment to happen on the racetrack someday between one of these teams uh, and their senior partner. Uh, let's talk about a, a, a an old name with a new name stuck on the front of it: Rocket Williams Racing. Uh, had you either of you heard about Rocket before no, any of this? Never. No. So I, I've done the research. Have you Have you looked into what Rocket is? I don't, I don't know what it is. So I it's looked a, it up twice and I've forgotten twice. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a telecommunications like startup in California, um, but it's it's founded by John uh, Paul DeJoria, who I have heard about before at Entrepreneurial Circuits. He's basically the guy who invented Paul Mitchell line of hair products uh, and Patron as well. Um, huh. and, and when I was looking into him, it, I don't know if this is in any way connected, but his daughter used to drive in NHRA. Um, really? Yes. She's retired now, but she she drove between 2005 and 2017 in a, in the National Hot Rod Association. So I'm not sh- I'm not sure if that's why he didn't seem to have any credentials in sport himself, but um, or motorsport himself. He does have an interest or a he uh, uh, yeah, kind of. and and he's incredibly wealthy and, and owns this uh this it's the rocket. They're making phones and and they do some Wi-Fi technology or something. But basically they've come in to to chuck a bit of money Williams's way Williams one of the older names um, in, in F1 uh, they have an interesting sort of old versus new when it comes to the drivers as well they have Robert Kubica who is a, uh, a Polish driver who was a fan favorite about 10 years ago um, who had a, 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 a crash in the off season kind of when he was racing in rally and very damaged his lower part of his, his hand and arm um, terribly uh, to the point where he now needs uh, assistance to, to drive um, um, uh any sort of car especially in, in F1 um, it's been sort of a dream of F1 fans to have him back in the car um, uh, so it's uh, it's very exciting to see him back uh, 76 starts uh, one win I didn't know which race he had won and I looked it up and what was interesting was that it was actually Canada 2008 and Canada 2007 was that really bad crash he had and you know the one that they always show wow where, yeah 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 so he went back the next year won the race which is um saying something uh he is uh, also I believe still the only F1 driver to have uh, their own energy drink so he should be very proud of that um, in his native Poland uh, he is going to be driving alongside George Russell I really can't tell you who the number one driver is here because George Russell he's only 21 years old but he's an absolute phenom he's the reigning uh, F2 champion uh, and he won the 2017 GP3 series as well so um, he's coming in with a um, you know, a lot of momentum. Robert Kubica, the opposite. He's coming in after years outside of the sport. Uh, but, uh, you know, any <laughs> we were hoping to get some sort of uh, idea of how they both do during preseason testing, but it doesn't sound like that's gone particularly well, Rob. No, and, I mean, we'll talk about that more in detail next week, but Williams, if you're not into F1, here's your chance. <laughs> Don't get into Williams. Don't do it. Just... There's there there's so many other teams on the grid. You can be a fan of any of those other teams. You'll have a great time. Rob, I have one Formula One hat. 
So I, I'm committed. It's a nice and hash. I love on that. On some level, I am too. Williams is a great team with a great story. Um, they are kind of the last of a bygone breed, right? They're, they are they are a family business. It started with uh, p- people just being really, uh, really intense racing enthusiasts. And that is what has kept that business going. And they are the last people in the sport who still fit that model that used to be almost predominant in the 60s and 70s. It was all adventurers and people just kind of uh, pouring everything they possibly could into running a race car in Formula One. You could do that then. Increasingly, you maybe can't do that now. Williams is trying to buck that trend, but it does sort of feel like times are overtaking them a little bit. Uh, They are coming off a series of bad years where they've fallen farther and farther behind the curve. Uh, This season has started off pretty grimly for them as well. So this is a team that like finished at the bottom of the standings. You could easily expect them to do that again. But what if they didn't? (laughs) What if we're on the verge of a fairy tale story where a young hotshot is teamed alongside a returning... A returning great, a man, a man whose championships never were, but would have been if not for a tragic accident. What if both of them can restore the fortunes of this fading but once glorious F1 team? I wish, I wish everyone could enjoy just how close to the camera Rob is leaning in to tell us that. Um, yeah, I don't know. You said don't be a Williams fan, but all you've done is convince me once again to be a Williams fan. So. Yeah, no, I'm all in now. That'll also happen after watching the documentary. Yes, and if you uh, are a patron, you'll soon be able to listen to an episode that we did all about it. Um, Although I'm not really sure soon because I'm not sure which order we're going to put them all. But some yep. stage you'll be able to. Yeah. Uh, speaking of energy drinks, I already talked about Robert Kibitzia. So let's talk about Rich Energy Haas F1. Um, I have never heard of Rich Energy. Apparently it is a uh, energy drink in the UK. I googled it. If you go to their website, all it is is pictures of Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. So the whole thing could just be a shell company made by Haas just to p- pretend like they're getting money. I don't fucking know. I've Roman seen Grosjean- the, the CEO in some like the car launch pictures. He looks like someone out of Duck Dynasty launched <laughs> an energy drink <laughs> and is now like gunning for Red Bull. This is great. We have, we have, between Rocket and Rich Energy, I just feel like we have a lot of very rich dudes who like, who want to own their own F1 team. Yeah, oh, and there's one more, I think. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we'll get to that. Well, <laughs> it's a weird era for F1 sponsorship. Uh, Ferrari tried to enter their team name this year as uh, Scuderia Ferrari Mission Winnow. Uh, which we talked a little bit about last year, where Mission Winnow is absolutely 100% Philip Morris, the tobacco company. But you can't advertise tobacco products in Europe anymore because they're poison and there's no redeeming benefit to allowing tobacco companies to market any of their shit uh, to people in public. So Philip Morris has this initiative that is the most nonsense. It, look, Mission Winnow is amazing. It's the most nonsense initiative. It is basically an entire thing designed to skirt these rules. Ferrari tried to basically smuggle a tobacco sponsorship back into Formula One by allowing Philip Morris to sponsor the team via this like phony initiative. Amazing. Uh, 
that appears to not be going well. Yeah, I have um, uh, a quote here, Rob, from uh, an article on motorsport.com yesterday. Uh, Ferrari has revealed it has chosen to remove its Mission Winnow branding for the opening round of the 2019 Formula One season in Australia. Uh, unknown if that will persist um, beyond Australia, but I have <laughs> a quote here uh, from Ferrari CEO Louise uh, Camarelli. Um, explaining basically what Mission Winnow is uh, or, or the situation. He says there, there were problems with the health department in Australia and there was no time for Philip Morris to find a solution. Mission Winnow is not a brand. It has nothing to do with tobacco because it concerns the trans- transition from tobacco to electronics products. What? Like what e-cigarettes. kind of electronics products do you think he means, can, Drew? Yeah, I, what, that's I what, wonder. Listen, it has nothing to do with tobacco because it concerns the transition from tobacco <laughs> to electronic products. You know how you'd say you say you're not connected to something by y- y- illustrating that connection in the next sentence. <laughs> yeah, my my not involved in human trafficking T-shirt is <laughs> raising a lot of questions <laughs> answered by my shirt. <laughs> oh my god. All right, so in the, you know, in that respect, Rich Energy Haas F1 doesn't sound so bad, I guess. I uh, guess it's all starting to feel a little fly by night in the sponsorship <sighs> front. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pull I too hard on any drugs? of those threads; it'll all just come unraveling. I know we could talk forever about the the Marlboro stuff and the Heineken stuff, and the it's just a it's a never ending. Um, uh, pit the, that whole story um shall i talk about these two drivers yeah i'll, I'll go through these four pretty quickly these teams because because you know there's there's not there's a lot of sort of uh ifs and buts and maybes here uh roman grosjean um he's 32 years old now uh, 145 starts uh no wins but he's got 10 podiums came 14th last year 13th year before that 13th um the year before that so Haas have had like a since the team was founded and he joined which i think this is might this would be third season i believe um maybe it's no third i think um he uh they've had rough years they've had years where they've started well and then just reliability has been a problem they've had years where they've crashed out um he scored points in his last two races uh at the end of last year it's hard to read into that stuff when a lot of those teams you know i feel like the teams around him he was fighting um but uh i don't know roman gorjan just continues to be a question mark for me over over how you know how good he is um his teammate kind of similar at denmark's kevin magnuson um uh he has uh, 82 starts one podium he's 26 years old um he won the you know formula uh, 3.5 uh, uh, series in uh, in 2013 but he hasn't really done much since he came la- ninth last year um he came 14th year before that so there is improvements but um yeah neither of those drivers you know uh, they're it's kind of one of those teams it feels like rob that they they neither have the great driver or the great car yeah haas uh has been a weird team from the start uh, to what degree? Like, right from the right from the from the opening uh, races of that team, people were raising questions about how much of an independent team was it really? Uh, how much of their own stuff were they producing versus mm. was it fair they were allowed to buy so much of their uh, so many of their components from Ferrari? Um, and that kind of identity is never full. The team has yet to come into its own, uh, is the way I would put it. And it doesn't look like this is going to be the year they sort of pop either. Uh, in terms of technology, they've never had a particularly impressive car. There's no like Haas developed, uh, you know, engineering that we've seen sort of 
shake up the grid in general. They are a middle-of-the-pack team that seems very competently run. They have yet to show they can do any of the things you need to do to become a, like, championship contending or even, like, you know, best of the rest contending uh, Formula mm. One team. They are, they the are uh, only... Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Go, I was going to say they're the only American team. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which and, you can tell because they have a French and Danish driver. That's right. Yes. Uh, and and they, I think they are unique, though, in, in their approach to running a Formula One team. Because like you said, Rob, they, I think, right up to the rule limits, they buy as much of what they can. Uh, and then they develop the rest themselves. Uh, and I did want to throw in my uh, my favorite uh, piece of trivia about Kevin Magnuson. Uh, between his, I think, Formula 3.5 and Formula Renault years, he didn't think he was going to get a drive, and so he became a uh, factory welder and worked awesome. as that. <laughs> and then awesome. suddenly got a got a chance to drive a car again. So uh, I like I like Magnuson. He's he does not care if you've won four championships. He's going to run you off the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a fan favorite. Uh, even though he kind of, uh, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't. He's not a driver favorite. No, that's that's true. <laughs> um, uh, next team up is a Red Bull Toro Rosso Honda. Um, the the you know second team, second tier team for Red Bull, uh, also sticking a Honda uh, uh, engine in their car, and also sticking two new drivers in their car. Well, one new driver, one returning. Favorite? Mm, we'll see. Depends if you like torpedoes or not, I guess. Uh, the the new driver is Alexander Albon, who I don't really know much about. His father, Nigel, drove in touring car for a season or two. Um, but he's another one of these young phenoms. He's 22 years old. He came third in uh, Formula 2 in 2018, driving for Dams. And he had signed for their Formula E team, uh, E-Dams, um, and was uh, ready to... Or Nissan E-Dams, I should say, who I was... They were ready to uh, to drive. And he ended up basically signing with Red Bull and pulling out of that one. Um, at pretty last minute for the start of the Formula 1 or Formula E season. Sorry, if you're new to the sport, Formula E is the um, elec- fully electric street circuit sort of sister... Um, uh, 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 formula to uh, to Formula One. Um, he's pairing up with uh, uh, Daniel Kvyat, who is a, a Russian that F1 fans are all too familiar with. Um, he's only 24 years old, but he's already built himself quite a reputation in the sport. He's had 72 starts, uh, two podiums. Um, this will be his sixth season, but he he kind of he was with Red Bull Toro Rosso in the past, and then got promoted up to Red Bull, the sort of the big boy team. And had just an absolute nightmare of a season one year, um, crashing into Vettel in Russia and just ha- twice in the like, same race. Yes, uh, <laughs> and, and have, he had like three or four just horrific races in a row where I guess it really questioned his mentality, um, uh, or his mentality came into question. Uh, so we'll have to see. This is kind of last chance saloon for Danny Kivat. For a lot of people, they're surprised he's even come back or he's been let back. Um, maybe it says more about the sort of. The, where all the drivers ended up going w- internally at Red Bull, um, but I don't know. I, I hope he does well this year. I hope he's you know he'll have a lot of eyes on him, which will which will be irritating. And he's also going to have somebody who's younger than him, but is is very uh, accomplished as well. So you know it'll be interesting. Maybe if the Honda keeps blowing up, it'll actually be a blessing for Daniel because at least he won't be blowing it up himself. I think um, I'm I'm on the uh, Daniel Kafia 
got a raw deal. Like, he screwed up, but also, to a degree, he was rushed into a position he was clearly not ready for. Yes. And then when they hit choppy waters, the team threw him under the bus. Totally. Uh, like, pretty hard to make way for who was always their golden boy, uh, Verstappen. And so there, there, there was a weird politics to the entire thing. Uh, it was mishandled. He got, he didn't, he did himself no favors. He got a bit of a raw deal. Uh, he's not in a bad car. Again, the uh, the Toro Rosso is yet another of those junior teams. Uh, if I had to lay money on like who was going to be the first junior team to really get into a scrap with the senior team, it's. Toro Rosso and Red Bull uh, for me. Uh, Toro Rosso is, again, borrowing a lot of uh, design and components from uh, the senior team. Uh, by, by like requirement, there are some things they have to develop themselves. But nevertheless, this is a hand-me-down Red Bull in a lot of ways. Um, and it is also being used as a test bed for that Honda engine. So... Kind of interesting opportunity uh, this season if they if they end up sort of nailing the implementation of that engine, uh, it could be an unusual dynamic between those two teams uh, at least at the start of the season. I'm very curious how it plays out. It's it's also interesting that the uh, the four drivers who are driving for across the Red Bull suite of teams uh, are 21, 22, 23, and 24. Like wow. We've we've a lot of young heads here, and Verstappen's the youngest of the bunch. So it's uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how mentality comes into play, I guess, with uh, with both teams and also uh, across uh, all four of them. Um, the next team we have is <laughs> quite a mouthful: uh, Sport Pesa Racing Point Formula One team. Um, this is a, a new name for for an old friend. Their drivers, uh, Sergio Perez, a Mexican driver, um, uh, beloved by a lot of uh, by a lot of F1 fans. He's uh, been around a while, 158 starts. He's eight podiums to his name. He's never won. Came eighth last year, seventh year before that, seventh year before that. Pretty consistent driver. Um, Lance Stroll on the other side. This is his uh, third season. The Canadian. Uh, he came twelfth uh, in his first year. Uh, a large part because he got a podium in Baku um, last year. He placed 18. So a uh, bit of a dearth between the two two of them. Um, sport Pesa, it's some uh, sports betting website is what I've heard. Uh, I don't know Kenya, I believe it's. I don't know much else about that. But this wow. used to be Force India, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, online to- sports betting. Sure, everything's on the up and up there. For yeah, totally. I mean, you can't smoke a cigarette, but you can throw away your wages. So. You know, yeah, that's all no. Right. I mean, like honestly, like they could not, things could not possibly get worse for their <laughs> uh, business uh, situation than they were right. last year. Like there were uh, international finance uh, laws that were that may have been broken uh, by some of the people involved. The previous incarnation of the team, uh, it was a scan. It, it was not so much a scandal for the team, but it was one of those things where everything could have fallen apart at any moment for like the last year and a half for this team. So no matter who their sponsor is, no matter who the team is, they're probably in a better and more secure position uh, than they've been in ages. Um, I don't know too much about their car design uh, this year. Um, again, they've, they've tended to be a team that is in the middle of the pack, threatening to sort of 
take that best of the rest crown, but they partly due to these issues, they've never quite made it. Uh, when I think of a Force India, I usually think of it as being in a scrap with a Haas somewhere. Right. Yeah. Certainly in, right. in in recent times, uh, I think there was a, a a period where they were like um, solid fourth. Uh, but that was, I think, before all this mess with finances came around. Although th- that was resolved kind of mid-season last year when uh, Lawrence Stroll, uh, who uh, astute listeners may recognize has the same last name as Lance Stroll, uh, <laughs> because he's his dad, and he's also a billionaire, and he bought the team and basically saved them from bankruptcy. So they've gotten a huge influx of cash, uh, much more stable position, but who knows if they've been able to uh, take advantage of that stability and and put them put their car into uh, a good spot already for 2019. I think they actually showed up to testing with a 2018 car with the intention of having their 2019 car available for Australia. So, uh, kind of a lot of question marks surrounding them. Um, but I like them. Uh, I think they they've always been punching above their weight, uh, as long as they've been uh, as or as long as they were Force India. So it's a it's a new era for them. Yeah, and then the the last team on the dock. I feel bad for putting them last, to be honest. Um, is uh, McLaren? McLaren. Uh, uh, F1 God, I'd forgotten McLaren was. A team. I know, I know, right? <laughs> I was like, uh, what do you mean? There's another team. We're done. We talked about all of them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the reason to, to, to watch McLaren last year for a lot of people um, has retired, uh, uh, Fernando Alonso, uh, but he has been replaced by uh, another Spaniard, Carlos Sainz Jr., who comes over from from uh, from Renault. Uh, uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. has, you know, he's got no podiums to his name after 81 starts, but, you know, he's he's driven well. I feel like, you know, he was at Toro Rosso for two and a half seasons. He went to Renault uh, and came ninth in that season. Um, halfway through the season he came 10th last year last year he scored points in all but eight of his races and had two retirements so he's he's been like doing well in a in in cars that are not fantastic uh what mclaren he ends up sitting in this year we'll, we'll have to wait and see but you know he's one of these drivers that i kind of i, I i've always hoped would be given the opportunity to be in a good car and maybe we'll, we'll see a bit more out of him and um, he's getting paired up with uh, lando norris who is who cannot drink in America for another two years. He was 19 years old, um, legally anyway. Um, he won the uh, 2017 uh, Formula 3 European Championship. Um, he's been part of McLaren's Young Driver program since he was like two years old like he, he you know his family moved down to Glastonbury and he could he was a day boarder in a school so he could race on the track like he is he has been coming through the system for a number of years now um, uh, uh, so it'll be yeah, interesting to see him paired up um, uh, with uh, with Carlos uh, Sainz Jr. and and I don't know. Um, yeah, what what McLaren do you think we're going to get this year, Rob? I mean, they have to be better. Uh, no, <laughs> like so. The only way it's is very, up. <laughs> it's very it's very tough to say. Uh, we'll talk more about it next week. Their testing wasn't bad, although they also set fire to their garage. Mm. And oh, did they really? Hospitalized. Oh no! Um, I missed this. Oh yeah. Gosh. So there was there was a bit of a garage week. fire uh, on the photo day um, at testing, and three people ended up in the hospital. I don't know if it was I don't know if it was that serious, but nevertheless, uh, anytime you got a fire in the pits, not a great thing. No. Um, 
they did okay in testing, but the issue always is how many teams are actually showing you their best in testing? Yeah. Uh, so is McLaren setting good times when everybody else around them is basically sandbagging and trying to be like, oh, gee, I guess we don't have a great car this year. And meanwhile, like McLaren is just like going flat out trying to like, you know, do their best. Who knows? Uh, that said, um, they've been like a cursed team for the last three years. Hmm. They've made a lot of major changes uh, in, in the last year or so. They also just hired a new technical director from Tara Rosso. Uh, so they are, they've cleared out a lot of what they would argue was dead wood, uh, and they've turned the page and they're, they've gotten, they've ended that disastrous relationship with Honda. Mm. So all things considered, things could not possibly get worse. I don't know. <laughs> I like, I can't, I can't bring myself to say, yeah, I think McLaren's going to be good this year. And uh, the minute I think that I'm like, they might get their asses kicked by Williams this yeah, year. Yeah, totally. That's the thing. That's there's there's so much uh, shifting going on here that and and this is what I love about the start of the season because at the start of the season it's just this like this possibility space. Like who fucking knows, right? Anything yeah. could happen. But two races in, you're like, oh, that's what's going to happen to them. <laughs> that's what's going to happen to them. And for the record, I do like Lando Norris, what little I've heard from him. He seems cut from the same cloth as Jensen Button. He's British and is that same sort of affable guy. Really good interview. Uh, mm. So I'm, I'm rooting for uh, for that team to do well. Yeah, we have, we have a couple of English drivers. Alexander Albon, I think he's flying. I think, sorry, I think he's driving underneath uh, the Thai flag. Uh, yes. But he was born in London. Um, so there's a, there's a bunch of uh, Brits in there, uh, which is good. Because I think for we just had Lewis there for a while, I think. He was the only English driver once Jensen had retired. Mm. Was Hartley? Am I crazy? Who? Uh, Hartley was, Hartley? was in New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there you now go. We got yeah. Now we got him and George Russell and LH. Yeah, nice for McLaren. I mean, that, you know, British team with a British driver. I think it always means a lot uh, to the to the English fans when they have one of their own and one of their cars. Oh my god, we haven't even talked about what Brexit could do to the freaking uh, F one. Yeah, yeah, Toto. Yeah, uh, did not key sound. thing looming over <laughs> this entire season. Uh, the home of F one is England, basically. Right. I think like, it, almost is, all is, the teams have factories there. Yep. Not for, like Ferrari's kind of the exception, but like Mercedes, German company. But mm. when they acquired a pre existing F1 team, it was based out of the UK. So, as with any industry, it tends to be concentrated in one geographic area because it's easier to get talent. Uh, there's a lot of people changing jobs. All of that is located in the UK. At, but everything is sourced from all around the world. Uh, these are multinational teams, companies, employees. Uh, so, this. It's weird, but this this is a weird confluence of like geopolitics and yeah. F one that's sort of hanging over the season, and if it goes sideways, uh, which bear, it seems to you know have all the earmarks of being about to do, um, that could throw that could create a lot of chaos for the home bases of all these teams. Can I just uh, Ferrari? Uh, just on that, I've just looked to see what date it is that the Article Fifty is supposed to kick in. It's March 29th, which is actually the race weekend in Bahrain. So they could they could be in a situation where all their stuff is in Bahrain, and they can't then come home. they can't. Yeah, I don't know. They got to get they got to get to China two weeks later. But yeah, God, I don't even thought about that. Like even shipping parts, like everything's just going to be 
stuff oh, washing up I mean, in yeah, the Republic I, of Ireland. Yeah, yeah, maybe all the F1 teams just go, it'll be like, you know, it'll be Eddie Irvine all over again. Well, <laughs> Ireland will be a face in the Well, actually, you know, they were in the, up in the north, so maybe that maybe oh, that still has the same problem. Think, well, God knows how that'll be sorted out either. I know. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a DeLorean imagine. Formula 1 team. <laughs> oh my exactly. god. Yes. I don't know. I'm not sure cocaine is is big these days. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So that's everybody. Yeah. Say so. That's the that's the the lemon dance done cool. for another season. Yeah. Again, I you know uh, don't expect to remember all of that, but I, I think for me, early on watching Formula One, you would see someone like do a cool move, uh, or you just like the cut of somebody's jib, and then you would become a fan of theirs. So uh, just you know be on the lookout for that kind of stuff and uh, t- take take the races as they come. Yeah. For sure. Uh, additional learning, um, I would say, uh, number one, listen to this podcast. Uh, we will have show notes with basically everything that we mention um, for each of our episodes and also on uh, our website, which is f1.cool. Uh, some external sources, I really like the YouTube channel Chain Bear F1, which kind of goes in depth on uh, technical stuff like um, uh, car manufacturing parts aerodynamics and like weird rules uh things like that uh reddit is a a good source i think r slash formula one is uh is what the official f1 thing is there um digit one oh oh okay yeah formula digit one yeah okay uh f1's own website formula one.com again with the digit has uh, a good knowledge base there called Inside F1 if you really want to dig down and see what break bias is all about. Uh, we have on our website also, if you want to dive into this, uh, everybody's Twitter account for all the drivers and teams, so you could follow them there. I really like following the uh, you know the, the ground zero of the sources, and sometimes drivers will take to Twitter and complain about something or uh, give a mea culpa on there, so that's fun to see. Um, and you should I, also, and I, I hope you've got fake Charlie Whiting up on that as well. Oh, I should, no, I don't. <laughs> Charlie underscore Whiting. Very good. Uh, yeah, I'll add that too. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, Formula One does fantasy, and we have a fantasy league. So oh, God. I know, at least for me, uh, I use uh, fantasy uh, American football as a way to uh, learn about the sport. So if, if that's your thing, um yeah come join our league we will have a, a link to that in the show notes as well uh speaking of twitter we are all on twitter i am Andrew scanlon danny i'm at danny o'dwyer and rob at rob zachney uh we have can i say this danny yes an email address that you yes. can send us questions oh my, oh my we god will, we will read them it is did i fix this did i fix it i'm <laughs> nope <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, shift f1 podcast at gmail dot com dot com yes don't be sending it to dot dot ie no or or dot, dot cool. zone gmail dot no. cool no we uh, also technically now have a YouTube channel it's got a trailer on it but I'm not sure what else is going to be on it for the moment yeah we'll, we'll yeah we just <laughs> we registered it and we'll we'll see what happens I mean uh, the cool thing about having the Patreon is this weird area to try stuff uh and yes. you know to take you know uh listener requests and 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 do things that people would like to see us do so uh i'm, I'm really excited about it for that reason as well uh that again is patreon.com slash 
Shift F1. Um, yeah, and uh, I think I forgot to mention also the Twitter account. The official one for the show is at Shift F1 Podcast. So, also uh, Rob's Twitter account. <laughs> did we skip Rob? No, we got him. No, at we Rob didn't. Zachary. We did Rob. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Rob also has a day just, job over at. I was uh, just thinking about Charlie Whiting. I got me confused. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Rob does real work at uh, waypoint.vice.com. Uh, so check him out there. Um, gosh. Uh, yeah, stay tuned next week for a rundown of everything that happened in testing, what we're kind of looking forward to from the teams. Uh, do we get nitty gritty about the rules and stuff that are new for 2019, including aerodynamics and all that strange stuff and penalties and whatever? Uh, we will take some emails. We will talk about Australia, the upcoming race, uh, other racing around the world, and uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So uh, stick around um for next week uh anything else from you guys danny no just super excited Lo- really looking forward to a new season um uh we've had a couple of seasons where there have been it's been interesting because there has been new circuits introduced which is uh, one of the things that I, I enjoy quite a lot um this year mm-hmm. I, i'm interested to see where what these drivers in these new teams and these new pairings like there's a lot of interesting pairings you know uh, happening here and I think that's what I'm interested to see more than anything else um, yeah hopefully a bit of a shake up even if we don't get that big shake up at the top I'm interested in the shake up from like third place down to tenth it's just going to be crazy this year yeah Rob I'll just remind everyone to check out Formula One Drive to Survive uh, this week on Netflix oh right which uh, yeah that's starting yeah. That documentary awesome. series about awesome. last year's F1 season. So, again, if you were getting caught up on the sport, what is this? That's actually a very good thing to be coming out right now because you're basically you'll be allowed to like take a deep dive into what happened last season, who the people involved are, and what the dynamics are governing the sport. So, uh, again, I suspect we will end up doing a, a Patreon episode around this documentary because yeah. uh, this is so in our wheelhouse. But uh, this one has a good pedigree. It comes from the producer of a great F1 documentary, Senna. Uh, so it's been on our radar. Uh, it, it comes out this week. And uh, seems like a great place to start getting caught up on what's happening in the contemporary world of F1. Awesome. Yeah, great suggestion. Uh, also, I think we forgot to run down uh, all the races. Uh, Australia starts, um, or it, uh, the Australia race is on March 17th. Uh, and then we basically roughly go every two weeks from there uh, with a uh, month-long break in, in August. But uh, we go from Australia to Bahrain, followed by China, Azerbaijan, Baku, Spain, Monaco, Canada, France, Austria, Britain, Germany, Hungary, Belgium, Italy, Singapore, Russia, Japan, Mexico, the United States of America, followed by Brazil, and finally, Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi do. I'm really looking forward to that September. We have four races back to back after the August break. It's going to be rad. Yeah. We're going to have like Christmas decorations up by the time. Yeah. That's going to be weird to me. It's like when I've got a freaking Christmas tree and like a wreath on my door. Easter to Christmas. Easter to F1 Christmas. One is still going. Yeah. The, like. <laughs> well, uh, I could not be more excited for this season to finally kick off. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you all next week. Yeah.